0: Oh, also, I owe you us three puns because I have one for today. We didn't do one on our rushed episode. And then your friend Nathan completely failed us. Your mom writes books! Listen, this is Your Mom Writes Books. I'm Caitlin McFarland. I'm Charlene Holmberg. And we lost the beginning of this podcast, so we're just re-recording the intro. And depending on how (laughs) well our podcast troll, Andy, can splice things, you're about to get a big blip into our conversation.
1: After much technical difficulty, uh, we don't have an outline. Yeah, we just had like eight minutes of technical difficulties. Sorry, guys.
0: It's part of our charm. Technical difficulties and being unprepared is part of our charm.
1: Indeed. Yeah. So, okay. But this is what we were talking about when we had started. And I was like, let's just start the recording so we can kind of unpack this on the podcast. Because I was saying, we are like talking about what we wanted to say about likable characters today. And I said I wanted to explore like what, what even... Is likability, which is maybe the first thing we should have explored. And, um, like, how do you write an unlikable character? And, like, why would you like? I kind of want to go at it from more of the angle of unlikable characters, why you would want to write one, and how you can write a character who should be unlikable, but you know, then you actually make them an interesting and engaging protagonist or main character or whatever.
0: I mean, I think so. Like, why would we have an unlikable character as an MC? Like, somebody who is just generally. Not your choice.
1: Well, yeah. Well, let's talk about, I guess, first, likability in general. Like, what do you even think likability is? And why is it, like, important?
0: I think likability is just like, oh, I would... I see myself in this person, I would be this person's friend, I want to be this person, like this person has charisma, this person makes good choices, this person makes me laugh. Just things that like the same reason I think you would like another human being are the reasons you would like a character.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I would even though, I would probably go so far as to separate likability from relatability because i think relatability is where you can see yourself in another person you can understand somebody's motives likeability to me is the not necessarily i'd want to be that person but i'd want to be that person's friend or i enjoy spending time with this person right Yeah,
0: well, I mean, it's it's squares and rectangles, right? Because relatability is an aspect of likability. For sure. But they are not synonymous.
1: Yes, because you can have, I would say, you can definitely have characters who are relatable but not likable, which is a lot of times what people who craft really um, nuanced villains will do. They'll make it like Thanos, I think. By the end, you kind of related to what he wanted. You understood him. Yeah. But you didn't like him. Right. Yeah,
0: that's a really good example.
1: Thank you. I well, I have always thought I might have said this on the podcast before that they made Thanos way more nuanced than any of the other like in the in the two Avengers like movies that like Infinity War or whatever the other one and game that had him. They made him kind of the main character. Like he was so much more in depth and nuanced than any individual Marvel superhero character. Yes. It was really an exploration of Thanos, um, especially Infinity War. I believe, yes,
0: yeah. Like when you see like what he chose to do after the fact, it was really interesting.
1: Yeah, and so maybe he is kind of an interesting case study for this because I did find him relatable but not likable.
0: And that's interesting, though, that you bring that up because you can have a villain you like who is not a likable character, and that's kind of like this like hard line to draw where you like them as the villain Mm. but you don't like you don't root for them but you like their role in the story it's kind of like so in parks and recreation tammy too (laughs) tammy too (laughs) is a horrible person she's so annoying like she has absolutely no redeeming qualities whatsoever and she's the worst and nobody in their right mind would ever want her in their life i love tammy two episodes (laughs) though because she the kind of conflict that she creates, and me, she is funny, but the kind of conflict she creates is so enjoyable for me. So I would call Tammy too, a likable villain while she's not being a likable character.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, you can enjoy a villain without liking them as a person. And I think that that's also maybe a a line of separation where we're, I think what we're going for here.
0: It's called that enjoyable versus likable.
1: (laughs) Yes. Enjoyable. We're talking about creating characters and writing main main, mostly main characters and because they're the ones that you either spend time in their head or with them you know point of view characters whatever that are either likable or unlikable and you know why you would do that with purpose or how you would do that with purpose and
0: Mm -hmm. well like every character has every character has a story right if we have the same flavor of protagonists throughout all of fiction it's going to get really old really soon Also, we talked about character arcs a little bit at the end of our last character episode. And honestly, having an unlikable character gives you a really Mm -hmm. great starting place for character arcs. And I mean, all of us, I mean, we talked about gray characters too. All of us really, in a way, are gray characters. We're all different shades of gray. One might say 50 shades of gray. Just kidding. We have like different elements about us that are liked and disliked by different people. I mean, like, I love Caitlyn because she is snarky and awful. And I love that about her. Thank you. But other people might meet Caitlyn and be like, you're snarky and awful. I don't like you, which I can't even fathom.
1: I'm so, if you meet me and I don't know you, I'm so nice. I'm so, so nice. Instant phone voice. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what's in
0: my mind. I think something that, like an unlikable character, when you have traits that are unlikable, the degree to which they're unlikable are going to be different for different people as well. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that unlikability is something that can be very interesting and, and, and enjoyable.
1: Enjoyable <laughs> is that the word you're looking?
0: That's for? <laughs> the word I write for a living. Yay! Um, but those those unlikable traits are things that can be very very interesting to explore and like character arcs yeah it means we could change them right you could take something unlikable turn it into something likable or even just make it slightly better like somebody who is super selfish might still be selfish by the end of the book but they're selfish in a different way or in a less
1: severe way yeah i i just want to bring up really quick like sherlock holmes is a a classic example of a character that i hear people say This guy is unlikable. And I think that they're talking about Sherlock Holmes and the way that he's written in the books, which like I've only kind of read a little bit of a couple of Sherlock Holmes books. I haven't like read the books. I mostly watched the movie or the show or whatever. Um, But they talk about how he is supposed to be unlikable. He's a drug addict. He's a narcissist. He is a snob. But a lot of people like him anyways. And I was going to tie this back to what you were saying. Oh, some characters don't arc. (laughs) He never stops being that way. Yeah. Right? So, like, when you're thinking about this, I mean, like, that is something to be aware of, too, is, like, yes, you can use this as the basis of an arc, but you can also just have your character be (laughs) a terrible person the whole time, if you super want to, if you can pull it off in a likable way, like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did with Sherlock Holmes, (laughs)
0: Yeah, so that's that's what the trick is. How do you do it in a likable way when he's an unlikable character? Now, I will say up front, I have not read any of the Sherlock Holmes novels. My Sherlock Holmes experience comes from the... I'm like, what's his name? I keep thinking Penguin because he can't say Penguin. <laughs> oh,
1: you're thinking Benedict Cumberbatch, which is... yeah, Benedict
0: Cumberbatch, yeah. So the Benedict Cumberbatch series and uh, The Great Mouse Detective by Disney. <laughs> um, yeah, he is unlikable. He has a lot of these really unlikable traits. Mm-hmm. But... There are still things in that unlikability that are likable. For example, he's going to say things to people that we wish we could say to people, but because of propriety and stuff, we don't say those things. And so even though he's being rude, the manner in which he's being rude is kind of wish fulfillment or the way that he gives no Fs. Yeah, you know, some we wish we could do that. Even though he's again being rude, Ooh, that's... and his competence uh-huh. is so it's so great It just seems to overwhelm everything else.
1: Yes, and I think that's what I was going to say was his like redeeming quality, right? Like, so he's got all these unlikable traits, but he is so exceedingly competent. He is so much more competent than any other person. He's got basically a superpower, right? And. And you're right though, Charlie, because this is something I didn't think of is the way that he is unlikable is wish fulfillment for so much of, for so many of us. Like we wish that we could say these things to people. We wish that we could just, because he does whatever he feels like. So if he wants to leave, he just leaves. If he wants to stop talking to somebody who's being irritating, he just stops (laughs) talking to them and walks away. So many of us wish we could do that. And so that's such a good point because that's not anything I've ever thought about before, but I do think that that plays into those Sherlock Holmes, like esque characters who behave in that way, it is partially, oh man, I would like, yes, I would do that too. And which goes back to relatability, right? So we relate to that part of them.
0: Yes. And I think what we have to pinpoint is that there are traits we hate Mm -hmm. and there are traits we hate. right it's so take selfishness it is really hard for anybody to really get on board with selfishness Mm -hmm. okay that's like a capital h-a-t-e we hate that but then take something like intimidating intimidation Mm -hmm. okay so intimidation is something that would be considered a negative a negative trait and yet if like i always say like if you could have any superpower what would it be i'm like i would love the ability to just intimidate people
1: but see i do think that that's i think that that's subjective too because you know you're looking at it through the lens of like what i guess like our life experiences i would say for for like dudes if they could be intimidating they would consider that a positive trait about themselves and not a negative trait they
0: could they could
1: yeah it's so dependent on your on your lens you know and
0: yeah i think it i think lens does does matter but i do think that there are ways that we can take the oh yeah we hate that but mm-hmm in a way we don't or in a way you can play that violin to the tune that really resonates with us like if you have somebody who just like causes like fear and intimidation in all kinds of people Mm -hmm. but then you have the save the cat scene being they're using it online through it to like put
1: down a troll Mm -hmm. we're like
0: oh my gosh fulfillment again right there yeah like oh i love this i want to see them keep doing it
1: so if they have those negative traits but use them in a in a heroic what i would call a heroic way even though they are traits that kind of make them an anti-hero or a villain i wouldn't
0: say heroic i would say satisfying
1: satisfying okay that's a good point because
0: a troll could be heroic but like i would say sherlock holmes is satisfying what he's doing is not heroic but we like it because it's satisfying
1: i think that's a really good point you are correct charlie
0: So what is a way that this could be used? Yeah, to be satisfying. And then we can also have unlikable characters and you interweave likable traits to make them still likable. So the first thing I think of is Veronica Mars. And if you guys haven't watched the Veronica Mars series, it is stellar Mm -hmm. writing, stellar characters. Mm -hmm. You should really watch it. But we have characters in there like Logan. Okay, who is absolutely detestable at, at least for like the first season, but he has these moments where you get these peaks into his life where he actually isn't a total dick. <laughs> so Logan, for those of you guys don't know, he's a teenager, super spoiled. His dad's like a superstar actor. He has a big house. He's got the nice car. He's super judgmental towards other people. He's a little bit of a bully. He's
1: a lot of a bully. But
0: you get these glimpses of him where his super posh spoiled life isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Or you get these, you know, these little glimpses where suddenly like he and the main character have to work together for an episode and you see, oh, he's not all terrible. Yeah. And you start. Liking him, even though he's an an antagonistic force,
1: at least for a while in that show. Because what they do is they show that like his life is lonely. Like they make him kind of a an angry, sad boy. Boy, b o i. Yeah, (laughs)
0: yeah. They play on your sympathies. Yeah, literally a sympathetic character.
1: Yes, and so you're like, oh, now I understand why he's so angry. It's because he's wounded. Okay, look. Yes, we'll indulge that in our fictional men, but I would encourage all of the people to not to not tolerate that in real life
0: (laughs) oh yeah there are many many things I tolerate in fiction that I would not in real life and this is something that this is slight tangent that my husband thinks really funny because when I read I love romance guys in case you haven't been here um when I read romance books I love i love alpha male broody like dark characters and in real life i cannot stand them like my i married this guy who's super amiable like really charismatic
1: (laughs) super nice jordan is all like rainbows (laughs) and sunshine he's like the happiest man with a mustache that you will ever meet (laughs) Yeah, but really quick about Jordan's mustache. Maybe you guys don't care, but I just have to add this also. I will say, when we played D&D and he had his D&D character, the first thing that he did was describe this man's luxurious mustache. Because he wants a mustache so badly. So much he just wants a mustache.
0: Anyway, so so like we make these unlikable characters, and you can turn these unlikable traits into something like wish fulfillment, or you get these little peaks of sympathy. Mm-hmm. The more unlikable they are, the more you need to be able to do this. Because we have – well, and here's something that's interesting. We say unlikable and unlikable traits. Being somebody who is really angry, really quick to anger – is a very unlikable trait, and yet that it's a very common trait that we see in our likable mm-hmm. protagonists, especially uh, among female young adult protagonists. And so, like, I wonder wh- is that just because we relate to that because we want to be angry too, or we understand why this yeah. person is angry? Because usually you can understand why the character is jaded within the first few chapters. Is that why we find do- it acceptable? Yeah.
1: Well, so I have just been reading for. Our friend, Trisha Levanceller, because she's got me working for her now. And I'm thinking, this is making me think of her characters, of her, um, so her Shadows Between Us. And then she has a new book that she's finished the first draft of that she's going to have coming out called The Darkness Within Us. And I believe is what it's called. And I'm thinking, and these books are, the, they're young adult books with with, you know, female protagonists. And these women are so angry. <laughs> but I find it so relatable and the things that they do that should be villainous, I do think we find relatable or I find relatable, you know, as a woman and you can roll your eyes at that or not, but like, because they're taking power and doing what they want. And that is wish fulfillment, you know, for a lot of women, like they're, they're identifying these things that, You know, like Mm -hmm. men controlling their lives, like they're, you know, they have to get married for all this. They have to do all these things women have been kind of made to do for centuries. And instead of just going along with it, they are doing the wish fulfillment thing and they're taking back power. And I do think that that's where a lot of angry YA female protagonist relatability comes from, like a lot of women do have a lot of latent anger.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point that it's already connecting to us when we don't even realize it. I also think at least in The Shadows Between Us, the way that Alessandra is written, she's not like fiery, exploding, angry all the time. It's more like the subtle coldness that has just wrapped itself into her personality. And it's just like, motivation
1: (laughs) yes well and i will say too that this is something interesting i guess if you could talk about like what makes a villainous character like sympathetic or relatable that trisha is so good at which we had her on and she talked about villainous characters so like that episode i think is in season one i don't know where it is i think so you can you can find it it's there she so in the second book which i ha 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 i'm the only person in the world besides trisha at this point who's read. i'm the winner so it's about alessandra's sister and she's the same she's But she is only taking exactly as much as I think she feels like she deserves. And we as the reader, I think most readers will feel like she deserves. And she only punches up. Um, If you haven't heard that phrase, it's one that's used in comedy a lot to talk about like who you make fun of when you make a joke, right? Like you only make fun of people who are uh, like in power. You don't make fun of people who are disenfranchised or whatever. And so... these characters, Trisha's characters especially, they only ever punch up, and they are kind to, like, the sister Chrysantha, she's, you know, like, they're kind to, like, servants and animals and children, right? And they're even generous. Like, they'll go so far as to be generous with people who are below them and their friends, and they only ever are, they're almost like Robin Hood, right? Like, yeah, Robin Hood written from the perspective of you know a wealthy person would be the villain he would not be the hero but you know it's that kind of thing i think
0: you know and that's interesting the thing too it's like how do you spin robin hood you have tell from a wealthy person's perspective but the way that they got their wealth was like like really tooth and nail they actually worked really hard for it and they have all these like charitable plans for it and stuff and then have them get robbed you know like it'd yeah. be interesting to play with that oh
1: that could be a robin hood retelling and robin hood could actually be a little more villainous hot somebody write it yeah i'm busy somebody else do it
0: <laughs> everyone's picturing the fox right now we all know it hot um, just kidding i mean <laughs> he is kind of for a fox Look, you know? we all know it's fine <laughs> but what this is basically it's like when you're going to write an a typically unlikable character you just have to find that balance what are you going to use to balance the negative negative? and you can have positive traits or just positive actions about this person that balances it i think the punching up versus punching down is fantastic i think that's a really great point yeah the other thing i thought that we want to do and this will make any character if not likable understandable and understanding is sympathy okay and I think with any character that you are making, you have to give them depth. The deeper your character is, the more real they seem. And mm-hmm. I think this is why in something like Game of Thrones, where everybody is dark shades of gray and everybody's doing terrible things. Mm-hmm. Like we like so many of these characters because they are so deeply written. Yeah, They feel like real people to us. Mm-hmm. And the balance is there and the understanding and the motivation is there because of this depth depth in that character so how do we get depth to our characters
1: are you asking me
0: (laughs) so I don't know if you recall this we had like a character class or something uh, an intensive that not intensive what's a Thursday workshop that we did for story makers Oh, it
1: was the it was one on plot and character arc wasn't it yeah yeah,
0: that's it Uh uh-huh and you had this enormous handout and i remember being like caitlin is going overboard again but then we have this handout i'm like wow this is all really good stuff (laughs) but yeah so i want to talk about wounds fears insecurities secrets backstories and passions Mm. wounds i feel like is the big old one that can create sympathy in a character What's a wound, Caitlin?
1: What's a wound? Well, it's one of the things on my my classic list when I'm going to create a character is Fear, Wound, Goal, Lie.
0: Oh, let's do that one.
1: <clears throat> you want to do all of those? Let's do Fear, Wound, Goal, Lie. Yeah. Fear, Wound. Okay. So fear is the thing the character is most afraid of in the entire world. So like, you know... It's usually not going to be spiders, right? It's usually going to be being alone. Something emotionally driven. Yeah, it's it's an emotional fear. It's not like a phobia unless you really, really want to go deep into that phobia. It's usually like dying alone or everyone I love hating me, you know, or people finding out that I have this thing about me, like this secret, right? And then I'll be rejected from society. It usually has to do with the loss of love. Like, let's be honest, that's most that's most human beings fear. We we, we crave love deeply. So that's fear. And then a wound is the thing in the past that hurt that character. And often it is the thing that caused the fear. Right. So I fear mm-hmm. someone I love dying because I've lost my mother and I know how much it hurts to lose somebody, right? Or something like that.
0: Well, this is Trisha's books again, right? Like the anger that these characters have come from a wound yes. in their childhood. So in The Shadows Between Us, she, Alessandra is deeply wounded because she has always been second fiddle to her sister yes. to like an extreme way. Yes. And she wants to make her she wants to make her own. She has to prove herself. And then there's also the wound with I think his name was Hector, the thing that makes the first page of Shadows Between Us so amazing. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh, the first page. Trisha is the best at first pages.
0: But yeah, so the wound and the wound colors. The everything that mm-hmm. the character scenes if this is now it can be like a smaller wound like in a lot of contemporary romances there is often a romance related wound in there that colors yes. relationships like oh i haven't been in a relationship or i won't have serious relationships because of this
1: wound right because i've been hurt too many times or my husband divorced me or cheated on me or you know yeah those are the wounds and i will say this is what i will actually since we talked about Trisha's books a little bit the wound that actually informs the whole plot and the whole everything in Trisha's books is uh, the repression of women being oppressed as a woman in that society. And that is the whole motivation for everything. Now, in that case, I don't think it's as connected to the fear, because I think their fears are i don't maybe well maybe it is actually because i think their fear is losing what power they have
0: yeah and falling back into that yes
1: Mm -hmm. and so that's what i would actually say in Trisha's books the wound and so that's just another and i just wanted to bring that up because it's another example of what a wound can be it can be inflicted by the society or culture in which you live
0: and then again the wound can be so large that it colors everything that that character sees yes like the way they view the world the way they think the way they talk has all been colored by this enormous wound that happened in their past. Right. And if you watch Obi-Wan, sorry, the uh, Kenobi is it is it called Obi Wan Kenobi or just Kenobi? I think Kenobi. So the version of Darth Vader from that version, everything he does and everything he thinks and is all colored by nearly being killed by his mentor, Obi Wan. Yes that has co- that colors the int- the character for the entirety of that mm-hmm. um does it c- would it carry on into the rest of star wars i don't know because these are all prequel this is all prequel kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so it definitely wasn't meant to be written that way so i wouldn't say that so i would just say in the obi-wan kenobi whatever
1: series i would say if they've been written in chronological order yes it would have been like if kenobi had come out before the original star wars trilogy yes i think darth vader's character would have been colored by that but because this was all stuff that was conceived after uh the original trilogy obviously it didn't it's not actually present in the original i would
0: say i would still say partially because almost i would say like everything is colored by the wound if obi-wan had left him for dead before anakin was already like flirting with the dark side like he was already Mm. turning before that's why they got into the fight in the first place so if you could switch the chronology of that then I would say Mm -hmm. absolutely that wound colors everything that Darth Vader does.
1: Okay. Oh, I was going to say something else. Oh, I was going to say how the wound often also informs the lie. Mm -hmm. Cause did you still want to cover that?
0: Yeah. So this is the lie. The character believes.
1: Yes. So the lie. Yes. As Charlie said, the lie, the character believes. So the wound also, the thing that hurt them will often color. And the, so the wound fear and lie are often very, or can be very closely intertwined. So, um, you know, the lie the character believes is going to be something like, to go back to Trisha's books, I guess, since that's the easiest for my brain right now. I don't know if this is actually Alexander's lie, because it's been a long time, but let's just pretend. Let's pretend that your character's wound is that society has, you know, oppressed them as a woman, and like they've been forced to get married to a husband who is terrible and so, um, you know, their fear is, and they've, you know, and they've managed to maybe get rid of that husband and now they're a wealthy widow. Uh, their fear is that they would have, that they would become poor again, that they would fall under the power of a man again. The lie could be all men are evil, right? The lie could be there is no redeeming quality in any man, right? Yes. Though That's how those things would be related. I don't know that that's the lie in those books. I don't think so, but yeah no that's not the line
0: oh no it's not it did make me think about so she has a secret Mm -hmm. Alessandra has a secret about because she killed the first boy whoever broke her heart that's like the first line This is like the first line of
1: the book not spoilers
0: (laughs) not the yeah not the not a spoiler and she buried his body and so that's a secret that she's keeping and I was just we won't tell but when Mm -hmm. that secret comes to light that's one of my favorite scenes of the book (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like this is difference between writing about villains and writing about heroes anyway moving on you should read that book if you have it
1: and she's so good at the villain arc like writing a villain protagonist it is Mm, she's great at it
0: okay and then the final one we had was the goal and again like all of these are interconnected it's like a spider web right these are going to lean on each other in some way shape or form because i mean if you're trying Mm -hmm. to fix the wound if you're trying to hide the lie if you're trying to overcome the fear those are going to become your goals right right these are all interconnected but obviously the goal is probably the most easy to understand and will if not be the main plot of your story be a strong subplot of the story is what is this character trying to accomplish
1: yes the goal is going to be the most visible thing and to tie this back to likability I would even say the goal can be the thing that seems to make the character unlikable but when you understand the fear the wound, and the lie, you understand this character and they become likable, if that makes sense. And so only seeing, you know, and so likability then ties back to what layers of a character have been revealed. Because like Logan in Veronica Mars, like Charlie said, as you peel these layers back, a character who previously was completely irredeemable, all of a sudden becomes relatable, which means we sympathize or empathize with them. So,
0: mm-hmm. Or Jamie Lancaster in uh, Game of Thrones.
1: Yeah, even though like, look, which are- I'll never get past the incest, but...
0: <laughs> oh, I've only read the first book, but this is what I've heard, is that uh-huh. he becomes kind of more of a hero character later.
1: He does become a hero character later. And then in the show, they did something... In the show, they kind of completely disregarded and destroyed his arc at the end um they,
0: apparently they disregarded and destroyed everything at the end though well that's
1: true so i guess game of the end of game of thrones isn't i'll be interested to see how closely george rr R. martin's t- with the show did i have a feeling it's not going to be that close
0: so i'm just picturing the earth
1: all mm-hmm. right picture the earth
0: tell me if you would agree with this picture the earth now take out that little pie slice so you can see all the layers <laughs> so i would say from least deep to most deep right the crest would be the goal the mantle would be the lie the outer core would be the fear and the inner core would be the wound would you say that's accurate
1: i think that's pretty good i think that's pretty good you can also as as shrek picture an onion
0: but yeah so again going with depth um, there's fatal flaws but those don't necessarily make a character likable so just go google it
1: no the flaw I would say the flaw would be the one thing that no matter how likable they come, they become the flaw is the one thing that makes you go Ooh, yeah. I don't love that and makes you aff- but I would say the fatal flaw then also helps you build stakes into characters who are having like unlikable to likable arcs because you do always have that fear that the fatal flaw is going to cause them to go back to who they were when they were unlikable
0: yeah, so in our diagram, the fatal flaws, the asteroid, hurtling
1: towards Earth. <laughs> Indeed. So good, Charlie. Can
0: the moon save it in time? We'll find out. And the moon is love. Okay. <laughs> the moon is love. Perfect. So yeah, so along with that, obviously, you need to know what the character's backstory is. Honestly, sometimes just knowing the details of the backstory, even if it doesn't necessarily relate to Fear, Wound, Goal, Lie. hmm like, later on, they go, oh, I could pull this into the story right now. I wasn't even planning to, but because I know this, I can pull it in. But backstory, and the more backstory you have, the more depth you're going to be able to create. Yeah. And then I, understanding their insecurities, which kind of goes in with Fear of Wound and passions. Mm-hmm. Like, if you put all this sad, earthy stuff aside, <laughs> where what makes the character happy? What do they work for? What are they good at? You know, and again, going back to Sherlock Holmes, the thing that really makes him likable is how insanely competent he is, because he's not just good at what he does. He is the best Mm -hmm. at what he does, the best. And it's so freaking likable that people are willing to put up with a whole lot, readers and characters alike, to see the outcome, you know? And so going back to our first episode... Um, Brandon Sanderson talks about the three things that make a character interesting to an audience. He says likability, competence, and proactivity, and that these are spectrums. So you can dial up one, dial down another. Um, did I say productivity? Proactivity. Yes. Sorry. So if you're going to have a character be really unlikable... You're dialing down unlikability. You're going to dial up competence and proactivity. And honestly, this is where a lot of great villains come from. Mm-hmm. And villains can be the pro the protagonist, as we've talked about, Trisha Levinseller. Mm-hmm. But these are all these things that you're going to play with. And so you have Sherlock Holmes. His likability is dialed way down. His proactivity, I don't know how self-motivated he is. I'm not sure. But his competence is just like you're dialing it all the way up the soundboard's breaking kind of thing. He is yeah. literally the best.
1: Yes, he is literally the best. That's a good way to put it. I would say his uh, did you say self-motivation is also dialed up pretty high in that one. Like if you're going to take the slider yeah. all the way down on likability, you're going to have to put it pretty much top top on the other two uh or at least in one thing for sure.
0: I recently talked about this with my indie group about like Mostly about how do you guys find the traits to make your MC interesting? For me, it was how to make them interesting and different from all the other MCs, this is main characters, that I have written just because I'm getting into the 20s now with my books. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be writing the same character over and over again. And I will admit that when I write first-person narratives, for some reason, I default to like this... This one character, I have this one type of character, and I default to them, and I have to really break <laughs> out of that. Whenever, and I don't know what it is about first person that makes me do this, but I've had to work on breaking out of that. So ask yourself, why is this character the MC? And I think one of the things that's fun to do is, well, what if I gave them these negative these negative traits how would the book play out what if i gave him these positive traits how would the book play out Mm -hmm. what if uh i made charlie the main character of this book versus if i made caitlin the main character of this book how would that affect the story i want to tell you know and figuring out
1: (laughs) so much more being charming and chaos and so much less (laughs) looking at people in a silent and judgmental fashion
0: (laughs) like you know why is this character your main your main character should they be your main character if how can you make them a better main character you know why are they the the mc of this novel
1: uh because of the way that i plot and do characters i tend to come up with a character first Mm -hmm. so they're the mc because they're they're the concept around which i am actually building the novel yeah so for me that's not often because you're more of a plot first person charlie right like Mm -hmm. we talked about that right
0: yeah, um, yeah, I usually come up with like the magic system and the plot around it first.
1: Yeah. So for me, I am a less frequently populating an existing like world plot magic system, and more f- frequently being like, I had this idea for a character. Now I need to build the world and plot around the character, mm-hmm. right? So for me because I write that way, it's never really a question that I have to ask myself.
0: Um, I have I don't think I've ever completely switched out a main character before, but I have definitely gone back in and added things to them to make them more interesting. And this is something, too. I I genuinely feel like a main character or any character is more interesting the quirkier they are. We talked a little bit about character quirks in the first part of this mm-hmm. um, series that we're doing. But mm-hmm. when the character stands out from others in the book or others that you have read, they become inter- like instantly more interesting And so I think making them have interesting quirks or having them have interesting, even just like hobbies or ways of thinking, just making something that's not quite status quo makes that character more likable.
1: Yeah, this is actually something that, so uh, you and I actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. As I'm going back and doing my light editing pass on Soul of Smoke, uh, the complaint I get the most about that book is that the main character is terrible. and. As I have been going back and reading it, uh, you know, as somebody who's a lot more experienced as a writer now, I've kind of realized like, oh, Kai, the main character of that book, she doesn't really have fear, wound, goal, lie. She doesn't really have any of these things that make her proactive or make her stand out in any way. So that is something that I've had to go back through, because I did realize that giving her those things will make her not only more nuanced, but more likable, because they're going to make her a more three-dimensional character who feels like a real person. Yeah. So I don't know if that that was just a random thought that I had. Did it tie in? Hopefully it tied
0: in. No, <laughs> it did. It did. Okay, I do have a pun. I don't have three puns, but I have a really good one pun, and it might be good enough to make up for the lack of puns we've been having. Ready? Go. Why is Jack Sparrow such a great character? Why? Because he's played by Johnny Depth.
1: Oh my gosh. Get out of here.
0: If you didn't hear the th- at the end.
1: Yeah, Johnny Depth. <laughs> oh, Charlie.
0: Did it make up? That was a good one. That's the best one I've had in months, you have to admit.
1: Well, you've got a week to, to, to do, what, two, three more? I don't know. However many.
0: Anyway. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, s- s- subscribe, uh, mm-hmm. rate, and review.
1: Do those things.
0: We update hopefully every Tuesday. And we you can follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Your Mom's Writes Books. And we take questions and comments at your books at gmail.com. Our uh podcast gremlin is Andy, and we're gonna try to get her to post her nano
1: updates on our Yes. Oh, and and I'm posting nano updates on our Instagram. So go there and watch me Muppet flail around all November. It's going to be a lot of pictures of the forest. So I'm telling you now because that's all that I have available to me to take pictures of. So
0: I might also update with my word counts um, because I am drafting right now. I think I'm about 50,000 words into a book. That is due in January, but we shall see. Andy is going to be working on a contemporary romance, and yes, she is my sister. <laughs> She's always been the hot one. <laughs> anyway, um, um, my name is Charlie and Holmberg. Uh, I write uh fantasy and romance. My newest book is C- Keeper of Enchanted Rooms, which came out on November first, and it is available uh, in paperback, audiobook, and ebook. The best place, fastest place to get it is on Amazon. You can also find it on Barnes & Noble. I'm on Audible. You can buy signed copies from my website, charlieandholmberg.com. And you can find me on most social medias, at and Uh,
1: I'm Caitlin McFarland. You can find me in the forest. I'm closing my Etsy shop because Etsy is crazy now and does not really benefit small sellers anymore. Yeah, I guess I'll be on our Instagram if my internet works well enough to upload pictures. So...
0: Have a wonderful day, guys. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.
0: Bye.